Founders, welcome back to the Zero to 5,000 podcast, where we obsess over the convergence of human potential and business results. Today, our hosts, Drew McClure and Jordan Mitchell, have another insightful conversation for you. So let's jump right in. Okay, founders, welcome back to the podcast. Today, I'm sitting down with the co-founder of Printed Mint, Chris Ellis. Chris founded uh, Printed Mint with Mary Zakowski and proudly provides print solutions for small businesses and boutiques. Since its founding in 2015, the company has received over 30,000 order requests. It is very clear that Printed Mint earned its spot on the Inc. 5000 list after so much success. Printed Mint is growing like crazy. So, Chris, my friend, let's get right to it. Thank you for being here today. Yeah, you're welcome. Pleasure to be here. Yeah. So we mentioned uh, just in conversation before this, that you've been in business, you've been working since the, as early as you can remember, and yeah. now you find yourself in, in running this, this company, Printed Mint. How did we get into this situation? Well, it, it was sort of by accident, and I think a lot of people can attest to you know, creating a business that they never intended to do. So it was, it was born from working in the printed industry, but really not having a distribution channel in place. We were just like everybody else. We had an e-commerce platform, and it was just trying to research Google AdWords, how to drive traffic. And uh, Mary, who's actually um, kind of dabbles in technology a little bit, she knows enough to be dangerous. If you ask her, she'd say, I know nothing. And, you know, sometimes she's kind of given direction to senior developers over here. So she knows, she knows a lot more than she <laughs> cares to admit. One day she, um, she came to me and she goes, oh, I put up a website last night for uh, wholesale products. And I said, well, what do you, what do you really mean? Because we were a retailer, right? We, we were a B2C. And uh, she goes, you know, just to sell our products wholesale to people just like us, since there's really not, you know, a provider out there that's doing it how we want, let's just create it. So she came up with, you know, some really cool ideas about, uh, you know, branded custom packaging to create a really, really unique customer experience. Instead of just getting a box with a coffee mug in it, you know, it almost looks like a present. So that, that was pretty neat. And um, so I said, wow, let's just see what, what our break even is. How many orders do we need a day for that? And it came out to 20 something orders a day. And it was just uh, me, her, and one other person. Uh, I drew a little old school thermometer on the wall and I kind of pegged it at 100. And we reached that 100 registration within the first 30 days. So we had 100 individual e-retailers e or wow. printers. So many different names that floating around out there. Go to our site, fill out kind of an application, if you will. We had to manually approve them, send them an email, and then they were able to access uh, wholesale pricing and start ordering through us. So I say accident, it was kind of a purposeful intent full accident. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but we had no idea at all what it was going to yield. I mean, absolutely clueless. Because back in the day, you know, we're talking over six years ago, print on demand wasn't really a cool buzzword. It was like, what, what is that? I don't understand what you mean by print on demand. You mean sure. banners? No, we sell individual products that people would probably put some art on, you know, whether it's uh, an iPhone case or a baby blanket or, you know, something really special. 
And uh, we just make one custom piece and we drop ship it to our customers. I'm like, wow, that's a pretty cool idea. What were you doing at the time while you were experimenting with this to see if it was going to be something? So we were doing something very, very similar, but an entirely different business model. So I'm going to back up just a little bit more. Um, we had a uh, network marketing company where actual people would invite people to their house and they would have kind of a little home event and they would design different products and then we'd make them for them. We were a little too early. The technology wasn't marrying the legacy software that we were using to create the whole structure and the dashboard and behind the scenes to pay commission. And that kind of slowly started to, you know, die down. So we pivoted and we went to, you know, B2C. We were just going directly to the consumer with our own website. And even though it was six, seven years ago when we started that, it's uh, and much more today, it's extremely difficult to grab eyeballs. I mean, unless you're dumping truckloads of money and you know, you're getting on the first page of search, people just aren't gonna find you. So mm. that's when the idea came. And that only lasted a few months that you know, direct to consumer when Mary said, you know what? I just put up a site last night for wholesale. Let's just see how it goes. And then that's how it started. So help me understand the difference between the direct consumer model with the old business and the, the wholesale model with the new business. Okay. Well, right now we're B2B. So we are producing products for other businesses that have oh. a website or they're listed on Etsy, Shopify, Amazon. So we're the print partner basically for right now there's just over 37,000 customers. So we, we, we've had 37,000 people go to our site and register because they have their own business. And, we ah, and then they're doing multiple orders through you. Yeah, gotcha. we generate over a thousand orders plus a day right now during the summer. And then we'll scale to about 3,000 a day. Good Lord. Yeah, it's a lot right now. How did you get those initial first 100 to even know you existed and come check out the site? And how'd you get them? Well, uh, if you've been to the site or if you go to printingmint.com, you'll see that it has a very feminine feel. And we are women-based. So 99% of our clients are women. Got it. Uh, I think that we're probably the only, only print-on-demand company in the world that caters to women specifically. And you know how women love to chat it up on social media and they love to share great information and their great experiences. And it was through word of mouth. We literally didn't spend any money on advertising for probably the first four and a half, almost five years. Really? All word of mouth. We did some sponsoring of some some uh, women events. Uh, Mary belonged to some um, you know private chat groups and things like that, specializing in print on demand. Uh, but we never really wrote checks to Google or really Facebook. Maybe a tiny, tiny little bit in the very beginning, but that was it. Okay. And then how how far or how long into that business starting to actually have its first customers and you're starting to get a base? Was it before you put all your time, I'm assuming you did, but pivoted and said, all right, this is the, the horse we're going to ride? It was, it was just in the 30 days. Oh, really? Oh, yeah. It, it felt that clear that, that early? Like, let's double I never, down this. I never thought that we would be able to get traction like that in the first 30 days. We have 100 individual businesses find us, fill out a registration form, and start using us to print their products for them. Mm. And I think the catalyst would really helped us um, accelerate everything that we were doing was Etsy came out with a, 
a program that was approved Etsy manufacturers. Because if you know anything about Etsy, it's really a marketplace for kind of homegrown products yep. that people make themselves out of their house. Well, a lot of those Etsy shop owners were saying, I cannot keep up with demand. So I guess enough people, you know, pounding the drum and, and Etsy said, okay, we'll get some approved manufacturers, but we have to vet them out. So we had to fill out applications and videos, bios, lists of our equipment. I mean, it was pretty extensive. And then they shopped us. And the reason I know that is because since it was only three people in the company, I was pretty much customer service, production, shipping, you know, I was everything. Yeah. So I answered the phone and they were asking me some really high level questions about Nexus and about shipping and protocol. No customer has ever done that in five years. And yeah. they did that. And within a week later, we received a letter of approval. So we were listed on Etsy as an approved manufacturer. So our name was in lights. We ran that you know, for about a year and a half or so. And then they did away with the program. So the barriers to entry. That was all, probably all you needed, right? To get, yeah, to get your was, foot in the door. Absolutely. That was a, a pivotal moment in our you know, business career, this new venture that really helped us a lot. And we had to move out of our current space. We were in about 1,200 square feet. We, um, we dealt a little bit with uh, overseas product. So we would get delivery in and you know, we'd have the boxes just lined up along the wall inside the front office area. I mean, the whole place was just completely maxed out. So eight months in, I had a two-year lease. We had to break that lease and move into about 5,000 square feet. And uh, that I thought was really going to be good for quite a while. I signed a two-year lease, maxed out on, on two years. We moved again. We're in 15,000 feet and we are 100% maxed out with six containers outside full of inventory. <laughs> Man. It is... You would laugh if you came in here. I mean, we, I call it visual chaos. So we really stay on top of how, I mean, every single box is lined up perfectly. Everything is perfectly clean. Everything is well organized because in, in this environment, if you let it get out of hand, you know, that's where you go in visual chaos. And we just don't allow that here. So it looks fantastic. Everybody that I tour through here just can't believe what we're doing. And then when I, kind of tell them we have six containers out back full of inventory, which would literally fill the entire building just in itself. Uh, th their eyes just fall out of their head and, and we're, we're moving again um, soon next year. Wow. So beyond, so the obvious challenge that growth, the success and growth early on was creating was the, the space need, right? Like you, you had to keep, you kept getting maxed out in space and had to keep, you know, investing in bigger spaces and that kind of thing. What else did growth present as a challenge? Like what other issues were caused by the growth of the fact that this was actually working? Well, you always have your onboarding uh, issues, perhaps, you know, finding talent. Um, and when you're trying to do something organically and you're not venture backed, uh, you know, the finances always come into play. And when you're that young, banks don't really want to talk to you especially the big brains. Sure. They have a certain structure. And if you can't check every single box, you know, you got nine boxes checked and the 10th one, oh, you've only been in business two and a half years. Sorry. Can't do anything until you hit year three. So we, we kept running into that. And um, finally, through a series of events, we were able to partner with a local bank 
who, you know, took a good hard look at what we were doing and said, okay, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll kind of partner with you for lack of a better term and give us some financing for some equipment. You know, terms aren't great. You're spending a lot of um, time and energy trying to make shit things. We, we built everything inside our, everything is made out of wood, all the tables, you know, we're not picking up the phone, getting steel tables from Uline for, you know, 800 bucks a piece. We're, we're buying the wood and we're building them ourselves. Wow. So that's another thing is we, if we don't really, really need it, we're not getting it. And if we do need it, can we build it ourselves? And you got a bootstrap, you know, for anybody that's listening and they're starting their own business or they're just starting to get some traction, do not overspend. Mm. Just don't. That'll kill you. I've, I've been there and I've done that. Yeah. We had a guy, we had a guy on, uh, who's not, not by any means the same business, but a similar business, a lot of manufacturing involved and, that kind of thing. And one of his big, one of his biggest mistakes he said was not knowing the numbers mm. and overspent didn't know it. And some things changed. And then all of a sudden he, he was uh, in, in big trouble and yeah. was able to crawl his way out of it over a year. But it was like, you know, it put the business on life support. And from that point on, he's like, man, I always know the numbers and I know what we can afford. I know what we can't afford. And I don't, I don't play the best possible scenario. I play the conservative scenario, you know, uh, especially with a manufacturing business, I feel like that's that's got to be you know top of mind. Is that right? Yeah, I, I can't remember the exact phrase, but um, you know somebody said uh, you know the first thing to kill a business is inventory, right? Because you're you're probably prepaying where you have some net thirty terms if you're lucky, and then it's just there until you sell it, and that it's just even though it looks like inventory, it's really cash just sitting there. And then part two is you can't run your business without people, and you'll start over hiring or you'll start paying more for certain talent and your payroll just goes up. So to manage that, we've always kept uh, 20% of top line sales for staff. Cool. That's a very good rule of thumb. If you are a very, if you are a um, high touch industry, for example, a restaurant, you're probably at 30%. If you are a mostly um, automated it could be down to 10%. So I, I kind of went right in the middle and I kept that for about three years. And then once we we're at the point right now where um, we're crossing over from 10 million going to 20. And, and that's when you're starting to bring in staff that is not generating cash. They're not in production. Okay. You know, and you have office administrating, you know, yep. HR, more CS people, you know, you, you have to bring in people that aren't bringing in money. So be very careful. And every month we look at the numbers every single month. Mm. Are you still doing that, that same kind of rule of thumb of keeping that 20% of the top line revenue for those types of things? We are. It's impossible now because we're building out our technology. And, um, you know, that, that type of talent is, is not cheap. Sure. So I kind of keep that in a separate column. And we're still at 20% for general staff. But if you bake in some of the high, you know, high line items, the tech, then it goes to 25. Gotcha. So you got it. You, you have to pay attention to that. That will sneak up on you so fast. And, and you're responsible for all those people every two weeks, you know, to sure. Sure. So what's the size of the company now? You mentioned 10 million in revenue going towards 20. What about the size of the staff? Right now uh, I have a headcount. As a matter of fact, I got today it's at 56. 
maybe, I don't know if that includes myself or not. It's just a roster sure. sheet. Yeah. And then at this, this holiday season, last holiday season, we were at 100. I think this holiday will probably be in the 120 range. Um, just seasonal part-time workers to help with the demand. That's, that's correct. And, you know, we are hearing some chatter about some areas that might be shutting down or closing for COVID or something going on, you know, to that effect. And that really drove sales last year in, in May. So we're expecting something like that could potentially happen. And we just want to be ready for it. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Out of those 56 people, how many are in that, you know, directly tied to, to producing money in terms of probably manufacturer workers, you know, stuff like that versus some of the, the newer positions you're starting to hire that might be more executive level or department lead or something like that. Yeah, there's a two, four, six, eight, maybe about 15 office staff. So front of the house. And then the balance of that is in production. So for just for example, we just hired our first in-house bookkeeper. Wow. It's been over five years. So I've been doing that with an outside source that would come in every quarter just to kind of reconcile and answer questions. And then we would have our, accounting firm uh, oversee that. So I've never had anyone in the building that I could walk over to and go, okay, let's get a P&L going. Let's take a look at that. So that's the move that we're making. And it's pretty exciting stuff. I mean, that's, yeah. you know, most, most people that start businesses may not dream of doing that. I dreamt of having an, an accountant on staff um, to really just tighten the bolts and just make sure everything is super tight. We're not wasting any money on stupid stuff. Uh, we're only buying what we need. We partner with another bank and we get some great financing on equipment really fast. We've, you know, knock on wood. I mean, we've never missed a payment since we opened the doors, mm. never been late. And uh, that's extremely important, extremely important. I mean, they will dig up dirt on you when you were born, um, you know, applying for an SBA loan. And Chris, what's this? It was in 2004. I think it was 17 years ago. Yeah. Yeah, you just, you, gotta, you just need to explain why that happened. I don't even remember why that happened. Yeah. Yeah, I saw, so just I saw, a little bit of I advice. a $100 deposit into your account in 2005. Can you explain that? Yeah. <laughs> what? What are you talking about? Yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's a true story. I mean, they, yeah. they need to have something in the file to explain what happened. If it's on their report, it's called LexisNexis. I don't know if you've ever heard of it. I've heard of LexisNexis, but I don't think I actually ever knew what it was. Yeah. Well, that'll pull up things that have happened to you, financially speaking, or whatever it may be, since the beginning of time. Wow. And you'll look at that in amazement and say, I don't even remember that. And half the stuff, you know, maybe not so accurate. So you need to just explain it away. But they need to have something in the file. And you'll spend a lot of time thinking and spinning your wheels to try to come up with something that makes sense. Because... You're going to need, you're going to need some cash for inventory. If you have an inventory based business. Sure. Sure. So what, for you, what, what started to signal to you that it was time to make some of those investments, like, like having your own in-house financial person versus you running the finances? What were, what were some of the indicators that, Hey, I think it's time for me to start to, to specialize or to give up some control in some areas and hire some people for this. Um, the size of the business. You know, when you're at 10 million, uh, if you told somebody I don't have anybody in-house looking at the books, they would think you're crazy. Uh, 
the, the firm that we use is quite large. And they said, Chris, it's about time you get somebody in-house. You get to the point where you really need somebody to manage the day-to-day books. You can do it. You know, you need to be focusing on more visionary, you know, long-term partnerships. I mean, we're in talks right now with some really big deals. And, uh, you know, I need to be focused like a laser on that. I, I can't be distracted in other areas. Not that they're a real distraction because they're, they're very, very important. But you can't grow your business. You know, you're just right. wearing a fire hat and putting out fires all day long. And you'll wake up one day and go, where's my business? It's all gone to the other guy. You know, you spent your time focused in the wrong area. So it's, um, we had a mentor that we hired a long time ago that was referred to us from a bank and he was a former bank president. So mm. if I want to speak to anybody, I want to talk to a president of a bank. And uh, we built such a great relationship. He stops by now just to say hi and hang out. So he's really taking a liking to us, our business, what we've done. And um, he, he's shared a lot of great you know, insight with us about businesses he's worked with, some of the financing that he's done, some of the pitfalls you know, that we might run into. I mean, uh, you know, he's, I think he's in his 70s or something like that. Uh, but it's super sharp, like a razor, this guy. And um, just his energy is so great. You just want to hang out with him all day long. Wow. That's what, that's what people need. Yeah. You, you need to surround yourself with other successful people and, um, you know, just collaborate and just talk about great ideas. And absolutely. Do you have, I don't know if I answered your question or not. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I was, you know, for, for what I was hoping and you answered it well is when someone listening to this is running their business and is doing what we all need to do at the beginning, which is wear a variety of hats. Like, there's no other way other than right. you learn how to do all the things, right? Yeah. But then at some point you you get so used to doing them that you don't you're not paying attention to the signs of when it's time to go, hey, maybe I could pass that off. Or maybe it's time for me to specialize in this. The business really needs me to be the visionary, forming new relationships, and somebody else needs to be doing this. So that's why I was asking is like what started to tip that off uh, for you, which I think you answered well. Yeah, I mean, you gotta be chief toilet bowl cleaner when you're first starting out. And then you can pass that off to somebody else. <laughs> yeah, you really need to do everything, like you said, and then uh, smart enough to recognize when you need to bring in others. Now. Yeah, you know, yeah, it's just, that's just what it is. <laughs> and when someone tells you, "Hey, it's about time," and and they're in a big, large firm and they've been around for forty years, you probably want to take their advice. Yes, I'm laughing because uh, I was thinking about one of my clients turning it around on me and doing the same thing, where. So actually, I'm wearing his shirt right now. The guy that's the uh, CEO of this company, uh, he called me one night, like 530. He doesn't typically do that, but he was like, just need to touch base me about something real quick. Ask me a quick question. And he could hear stuff in the background. He's like, what are you doing? I was like, I'm painting. I'm painting my bathroom. And he goes, you're doing what? I was like, my wife wanted the, a new color in our bathroom. I'm painting the bathroom. And he goes, well, hey, can I be your, can I be your business coach for a second? <laughs> he goes, you should not be painting your own bathrooms. You right. need to hire somebody to do that. You should be with your kids right now or whatever. And I just, but I was, I've been building my business for years. Like I'm in, I'm in that grind mode still of like, well, why would I pay somebody to do this? Yeah. I could, I could do it at five 30 at night. Like it, I'll just go grab a paint, a can, I'll, uh, you know, a can of paint and I'll do it. And it was so funny him turning it on me and me going, well, you might be right. Not even just that particular thing, but like, what now also is in my life that I'm actually doing that I don't need to be doing, not, not out of luxury, but actually because it gives you leverage to be focusing on more important stuff. And that's what you're doing right now is you're not just passing something off. 
you're allowing that time to be freed up to focus and give your the, you and the business better leverage, right? Right. So for now, or how do you see your role now as the founder in this current season? I know our role changes over time and what the business needs most from us. What well, are you sensing? Step back just for one, one second sure. and, and kind of expand on what you said about recognizing when it's time to, you know, do, do the, you know, simple task or to have somebody else take care of it for you, like painting the bath. I don't even get on a ladder anymore. What mm -hmm. if I fall? What if I hurt myself? I don't get on a motorcycle. These are some things as you get bigger and bigger and your role becomes that important, you have to weigh the risk versus reward. Yeah, that'd be awesome to go on a bike ride, but what if some somebody hits me? I can't be at work. So, you know, like key man insurance and that stuff yeah. exists for a reason. And, uh, you know, that's, it's not being lazy. Like somebody goes, man, you're lazy. Why don't you paint your own? <laughs> I'm not being lazy. I'm just being smart. Yeah. But yeah. I just wanted to throw that in. Most you're so right. Think of that. Yeah, you're so right. You know, that, that's something that, that we need to start thinking about more. And the other one was, I remember my own business partner pushing me and he was like, what do you imagine that task being worth an hour? And I was like, I don't know, 15 bucks. He's like, is that what, is that what your time is worth? Right. And I was like, well, our billing would say no. So no. And he's like, well, then why don't we pay someone who'd be happy to get that $15 Yep. And let you focus on stuff that could be generating $500 an hour for us or whatever. And I was like, oh, like some of those things just started to click for me because it felt yeah. lazy. You know, the emotional part of me is like, I'm not above this. I'm not right. above going in there. And the same thing with bookkeeping, right? For a while, you're like, I'm not above this. I don't like doing it, but I'll go in and, and, and reconcile the numbers and whatever. But like at some point, it comes a liability, right? When you're starting to do that much volume of revenue and transactions and that kind of stuff, you probably need someone that actually knows what the hell they're doing yeah. <laughs> to make sure you guys are good. The numbers get so big and, and, uh, you know, one, one wrong digit somewhere could go, you know, 10 million to hundred thousand. That's a big difference. So. And then your bank is really upset. Yeah, that's right. Uh, so yeah, the question was, how do you, how do you see your role now? Like if the business were talking to you and say, Hey, here's what I need from you right now, Chris, where's that time of focus best used for you? Um, creating efficiency. I think as you grow and you get bigger and bigger, you can lose control. And we're working very diligently to create software to manage, you know, the, the 50, 60, 70, 100 people out in the production area to make sure we're maximizing efficiency. Um, we're, we're kind of in a unique situation. We have, we have so many great people. <laughs> we don't even know where to put them anymore. Uh, I know that's, that's kind of not the norm. Uh, but, you know, we want, you want to create advancement opportunity for everybody in your organization, especially the leaders. And, um, you know, sometimes it's just we have nowhere else to put them. So I'm trying to think every day how to grow the business so I can really elevate these people to where they really need to be. There's mm. such a great talent. Uh, it is very hard to find people. And, you know, we've been blessed in so many different areas of the company. It's just making sure that I'm growing the business as fast as I can with all the resources that are available without losing control and having the wheels fall off. So it's a delicate dance and there's a certain balance. But I think my, my role right now, and I've read this before, you know, most CEOs, which, which I'm making that transition, 
really marries the CEO and the COO. And I really default to her in a lot of areas because we specialize in completely different areas. It's that as a CEO, you're an environmentalist. You're taking care of the environment. That's what you do. You make sure every single area is firing on all cylinders. There's a certain balance between the front of the house and the back, order flow, supply chain, customer service. I mean, everything really kind of flows up to you and you just make sure every day everybody's being taken care of and you're listening mm. to everybody and you're, you're responding to, to people's needs. I mean, it's, it's, um, I could come into work and somebody would say, what's on your agenda? You know, what, what's, what's on your calendar? And I'll say nothing. My calendar is always open because there's a million things going on and I need to be ready at a moment's notice to take care of something. Uh, if I was, full every day with meeting after meeting after meeting, nobody would get the answers they need. They would yeah. ultimately decide on what to do for themselves and it might not be the best thing for the company. So I need to be available all day and I will participate in every area of the business. And I learn a lot when I'm back in production. I try to be, I try to be back there. And the most important thing is shipping. Huh. I really take a look at how we're packing things, what box we're putting it in, what size or box we're putting in, what people are ordering. And then I get a bird's eye view of the whole production floor and I can kind of monitor and I'll spend one hour and I'll come back with three or four things I need to adjust or change or modify or talk to. And I think that's a great way to, for me, just to answer your question. Yeah. What do I need to do at this level? How do I manage the business? How do I make sure that we're, you know, not misstepping and we're doing everything to the best of our ability. And that's what I, that's what I do day to day. How do you balance that with also needing to go out and generate growth, right? So you're even talking about earlier, you feel this, this kind of, this tension of, I got to figure out how to grow this company bigger and faster to provide more opportunities for these great people that want to grow. Yet I've also got to, you know, be the CEO of the, of the environment. And therefore I need to show up with an open calendar and be able to step in in all these different places. If you're doing that all day, when are you finding or how are you finding the time to, to look up and beyond the day-to-day -day and, and, and think about growing the business? That happens from 6 p.m. to 10 p.m. Really? Yeah. <clears throat> I'm a big, um, I don't want to say I'm a movie buff, or you know, I, I enjoy watching movies over and over again. I'll watch the same movie five, 10 times. Not only will I pick up certain things, but I can also work at the same time. So I don't really need to pay attention. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So right now, uh, my focus is um, print-on-demand marketplaces. So what that basically is, is an app. And they would use a company like ours to facilitate the order. So they do no manufacturing at all. They're just forward-facing to the customer, receiving the order, and then parsing it out to a manufacturer like us. So several companies like that are popping up all over the place because they're a pure tech play. Uh, I'm not going to say it's easy, but it's a whole lot easier than what we're doing. Yeah. Equipment, machine, I mean, everything. I mean, six years into the deal, we're still figuring things out. You know, it's, it's more of an art than science. You have to just practice and practice and figure out how to produce this product one at a time in, in a different with a different design. So it all comes out perfect every single time. So we are part of a very small group of print on demand provider uh, manufacturers. And then you have the providers out there that are just pure marketplace solutions that show 
product on their website, you purchase it, and then it comes to us. They don't do anything but take the order and pass it along. They're uh -huh. popping up, and we're going after them very aggressively. Matter of, we have calls all this week with some really big, big players that are handling tens of thousands of orders a day. But they're not so the, producing anything. Yeah. That's how they, they're like an Amazon, basically. Yep. So the so, marriage is obvious. You know, for them, they get, they get you, the manufacturer, probably one among many they'll use. Right. And you get access to a much bigger customer base. Great. Exactly. That's, that's we're, we're, I guess, um, big game hunters right now. We're, we're hunting them down. We're, we're, you know, tapping them on the shoulder and we're setting up uh, Zoom calls so that we could be one of their print providers. But that had to, that had to be e even on your radar, right? So like for you to even know that opportunity existed, you had to have some space or time in your life that you were able to even go, hey, where's the market going? What are the new companies popping up? Oh, we could take advantage of that. Is that built in or is that just like, you know, overflow of your life that you're in, you're in the industry and you notice it when you notice it? Um, it it's kind of both. They'll, they'll show up unexpectedly. Or the very first one, just to give you a quick story on, on how that happened is they were located in New York. I was going to New York for a wedding. I set up a meeting while I was there. Mm. And I went and sat down with the CEO, Brian, and I said, we need to work together. How can we do this? And through a series of events, he flew out to see us and, you know, we started to collaborate. So I'm not going anywhere. I'm, I'm not really doing anything that will take me away from the office environment so I can still kind of have my hands on some things. Uh, and we also hired a um, team and business development director. Uh, this was a, uh, an incredible lady who came in one day looking for a position and we didn't have a position. Hmm. So I said, there's something here. Let us exchange numbers and keep in contact. And over, I think it was about two months time, we created a position for her and said, here's what we need you to do. And, you know, she's spearheading, you know, a lot of these, I'll, I'll give her the contact and then she'll make the initial set up the call and then we'll, we'll get online and, and try to put something together. Love it. Yeah. Have, the, have there been any, uh, any books in particular that you found helpful over the years in how you think about business or culture or things that would, that have helped you do what you're doing now? <clears throat> the, the one book that really jumps off is the, um, Guy Kawasaki, uh, startup book with now there's a few, this one has a match flame on the, on the front. And okay. that was back in the day when we were doing other things and, and looking to, to raise capital and how to do a PowerPoint presentation, how many slides, what size font, how you deliver the message. And, and I was part of that world for a little while. And that was pretty exciting. Cool. We were on the you know, 50th floor of the Bank of America building in San Francisco, pitching an idea to about 50 uh, VCs that were retired veterans. So it wasn't the big brands, the big names, uh, like um, Sequoia Capital or anything like that. But it was individuals that wanted to invest in, in companies. And we gave our pitch and we were getting on the plane. They called us and were like, we'll give you 50 grand to get started. And, you know, that was a lot of money for two yeah. kids that had an idea. We had not, no working prototype, no nothing. It was a military website. It was like Facebook for the military, but it was private. It was only for veterans to wow. the community to connect. Because once you leave the military, 
he may not stay in touch with people. Yeah. And, and it was like a brotherhood for a while. Him. And he, he continued on with that and something happened. It didn't really pan out. And now he has his own podcast, similar to what you're doing just for military people. Super cool. Yeah. So that book comes to mind. Anything else? I'm That's reading right. one right now through, uh, it's uh, Carmichael. Evan Carmichael. Evan Carmichael. Yeah. He yeah. just did a sit down with um, Kevin O'Leary from the Shark Tank uh-huh. to promote that new book. And I started reading that. It's about finding your purpose. And that's that's a really good book. I, I have two kids, two boys, and uh, it's all about finding your purpose. It's not necessarily you know business driven. I won by Peter Thiel, who's a it's a zero to one. Yeah, the last book. the last guest on here recommended that book. Yeah, I haven't read it yet, but it's sitting right in my dresser, so I have that teed up. But I do have that book that it's like a cool. baby blue cover, yeah. And uh, so that's no real books per se you know i don't want to say i don't have the time i always think that buying a book you're not buying the book you're buying time because you know you need the time to read it some people have no time buy books so they can make time yeah i um yeah i don't do a lot of reading but when i did those are those are just the ones that come to mind cool cool uh are there any lessons in particular that if you could save somebody else from paying the cost of that lesson you would pass on Expensive um, mistakes. Like, man, I made that one. That was expensive. Yeah. Uh, I think it's more of a series of events that added up to a big ticket number. For example, we've, we're, we're really trying to focus on our, our, our culture. And what we've decided, and years ago, I was part of the Zappos um, I don't know what they really called it, but power by service. And we had a rep come in. This was a different company that I was with. And uh, I know that they were the kind of the front runners of the customer experience culture yep. internally in the business and things like that. And, um, you know, he always said hire slow and fire fast in our industry. It's a, it, we really can't do that because when we scale, we need people, we need them kind of yesterday and as long as they show up for an interview and they like what they see, cause we take them on a little tour, they're probably hired. So what yeah. we've done right now and to save a lot of money to answer your question is we pretty much, we hire for the heart, not the head because we could teach somebody how to do anything, but we can't change who they are as a person. Mm. So we really ask some personal questions. We really kind of get to know them. And then we'll train them because there's really no playbook on print on demand. The industry is relatively new. So no one comes here with a ton of experience. You know, our supply chain guy, you know, he he used to work for a totally different company in a totally different industry. So we've, we've taught every single person that's walked through the store, how to do our business. I love that. So you, you recognize, Hey man, the skills we can teach you, but the character, the integrity, the cultural values that we have, somewhat need to be already present in this person for it to be a good fit. Exactly. I was working for, I was interviewing for a very, very large hotel chain and I was selling some of their fractional ownership. And I'll never forget the one question that just jumped off the page. It said, if you were a top salesperson, would you rather have the large commission check or the trophy? Why put that? I'd rather have the trophy. And I think they're looking for people that say that because money comes and goes, but that, that symbol that embodies you know, the recognition that comes along with top performance. That's what they're looking for. 
So we kind of interesting ask questions along those lines, like what's really important to them. Because, you know, once the money runs out or once they feel like they can make more money someplace else, they'll just leave. Interesting. I would have, I would have failed that question, by the way. <laughs> Maybe cash. I'll be like, Hey man, Check I, I got plenty of trophies. I don't need trophies. I need, I need some cash for my family right now. That's what I'll take. <laughs> yep. Oh, that's interesting. I do love this question though. I've, I've, I've been collecting some of those uh, over the podcast and just finding out like what actually is a question that you found valuable, right? Cause there's always throwaway questions in interviews. It's like, did that actually help you get to know the person? Right. Did that really help you make a, a, a decision? No, but I am curious on the ones that are. So like, uh, one, I heard one of the guests talk about similar to yours that it indicates something that you're looking for was a, what was the question? It was something like, um, uh, give me an example or was there anyone that you particularly did not get along with or something at work? And if so, how did you handle that? Mm-hmm. And what they looked for is that some people would just naturally just start throwing blame and demonizing uh-huh. the other person and like, you know, it was like they were looking for an opportunity to tell you like how bad this person was. Right. right? No accountability. Yeah. Yeah. And they're like, wow, like that doesn't tell me everything, but that does tell me something that like you haven't told me one time what your part in it was or mm-hmm. even tried to understand the other person's point of view. You were just happy to throw them under the bus. And I just like, man, that's interesting. There are good questions like that. that you know, don't tell you everything, but they can tell you something right. about how someone's going to approach different things that really matter to your culture. Right. So true. All right. Interesting. Uh, man, final question. When you pick your head up and you kind of look at where this business has come and where it's going, what's got your juices flowing most right now? What gets you the most excited about this? I think that uh, <clears throat> I know exactly what it is because uh, there was just a, a big, uh, like maybe I think it was a series A round. Uh, just completed, which validated this industry. Hmm. And before that, you can only guesstimate what people are doing, how much you're making, how large, what size of industry this is. Uh, but it created a unicorn, and now the buzz is out. Uh, everybody's talking about print on demand. It's the real deal, and there's so much room to grow. I just feel that we're positioned perfectly. Um, you know, I think you know, it was such a sweet spot. You know, if you're a couple of years in, you're still really learning. If you're in for 10 years, you, you kind of have some antiquated practices, some older sure. men. We're, we're constantly buying new stuff. We have the top of the line technology. Um, you know, we're really working with some specialists to, you know, tweak everything that we're doing. Everything from, you know, warehouse management systems to software to, you know, partnering with, all of these print-on-demand marketplaces and, and how to really do that in the right way. So I'm, I'm excited about, you know, the next couple of years that, uh, again, it was just disclosed and broadcasted. I, I don't know if it was on uh, TechCrunch or something. So now, now everybody knows that this is a real market. There's real opportunity here. And that we're changing. I mean, when I say we're changing lives, I mean, that's a pretty you know, big statement. A lot of people say things like that, but when you can have a single parent work out of their house and start a business for next to nothing or virtually no money and not have to warehouse inventory, not have to ship anything, they just have to go online and 
create some excitement about their brand. Yeah. And somebody else would do all the work for them and they can earn a living that, you know, really gets me, gets me going. And, and we talk about that all the time and we get letters from people thanking us um, for just helping them start their business. Cause that's what we're really doing. We're, we're not really a print on demand company. We're kind of a, <laughs> a wingman for entrepreneurs all over the world. That's, I like that's that. Really what we are. Yep. Now, if you haven't used that in your marketing language, you, you, you need to. That's a good make one. A note of that. Just, make a note of that. Make a note of that. I'm telling you, you got to capture that stuff. That's a great way of thinking about it. And that would grab the hearts of those solo entrepreneurs that are looking for that wingman. They're looking for right. that, that capability. They're like, I can't fill my garage up or I don't know how to manufacture this, but I can create great designs or I can create, you know, yeah. catchy t-shirts or whatever. Exactly. Everybody seems to have an idea. Oh, right. I wish you could do this or do that. And you know what? When you're by yourself, it's really hard. That's why you always see successful companies are usually two people or maybe a couple more. You know, it's always that collaborative effort. It's always that sounding board. It's always that person to hold you accountable. You know, so except who? Oh, Steve Jobs with, with, with you know Wozniak, right? Sure. You had uh, Bill Gates, and then you had Balmer. You know, there's always those two people. Um, in our case, there was there was three, and the the third one now does freelancing software work for us. He doesn't work in, in the building. He's on his own, but he's he's been there for from day one, and he, he still works with us, creating an ERP for our production. And he's so passionate about it. It's like his baby. We started it, and we just built upon it for five years now, and it's become so. What what an amazing tool! It attracts everything that we do. We display it in the warehouse, and it's just. It's really cool to see the evolution of what we started and where it is now and where it probably could go or will go. Yeah. Super exciting, man. That's awesome. All right, let's get to our lightning round questions. These are five questions that we have asked every founder who has been on here so far. So question number one, if you could ingrain one message into your entire organization, what would it be? <clears throat> um, textbook answer. I think we're really, you know, we're only as successful as our clients. If we can't help them become successful, then we're not going to be successful. Yeah. Yeah. The success of your client is intimately linked to the success of your company, right? It's, it's, it's connected right at the hip. It's awesome. All right. Question number two, what is the single best advice you've ever gotten about growing your business? And also what was the worst? The best advice I think I've, I've already shared that with you and that's, that's how we hire and onboard people. You know, we hire for the heart, not the head. And I think if people can, you know, as a takeaway, start doing that, start hiring the right people for the right reason and then train them later instead of saying, this is such a, you know, incredibly talented person. And then they come in and they're just causing mayhem every day. What good is that? Right. Uh, worst piece of advice. I think someone said closed down during COVID. Um, we didn't close down for a day and we had very good reason. We started to uh, make masks for a lot of people. And <clears throat> the one thing that I remember is nurses would email us that to wear a surgical mask, the blue one was very intimidating to patients that would come in. But if you could see some of the designs that we were making, that they were wearing, you would know how important it is <clears throat> for us to stay open to get SpongeBob SquarePants with the big team. Yeah. It would lighten, lighten the load and just turn that extremely stressful situation into something maybe with a little laughter. And they would let us know with emails. And that really, that really warmed our heart 
and uh, we're really glad we stayed open. I love that story. Thank you for sharing. All right, question number three. What causes you the most stress or worry currently leading your organization? Um, I think that, you know, we're responsible for every single person here financially. Uh, some companies perhaps maybe have a lot of, you know, six-figure income earners. And if they went a week or two without a paycheck, they might not be devastated. But in this type of environment, it's paycheck to paycheck. You know, we're talking about wholesale production, razor thin margins. If we miss one payroll, they'd be devastated, mm. devastated. So that's always on our mind. And that's why we probably talk a lot about finances and bookkeeping. And Yeah. Yeah. It makes, makes total sense. Yeah. Love it. All right. Number four, <laughs> what is your BHAG, your big, hairy, audacious goal for the company? <laughs> Uh, well, I, th I think that um, the reason we're on here is because we were listed on Inc. 5000. We were number 759. We're really proud of that. Uh, we were just accepted uh, for the second year in a row. And on August Congrats. 10th, thank you. On August 10th is the release of that list. So we're going to find out where our ranking is. And I, I would probably have to say, you know, Inc. 5000, 5X is, would be the BHAG for us five years in a row, that yep. would be, that would be probably our biggest goal because to do that, you know, your company's just being super successful. You're employing tons of people. You're changing people's lives. You're, you're just doing all the great things a great company should do and, and being recognized for that every single year, five years in a row would probably be icing on the cake. Love it. All right. Now we get to have our fun, creative questions. So take this however you will. I'm not going to lead the witness. If you could hop into a DeLorean, you get to go back to your past and you can only tell yourself one thing out the driver's side window of that DeLorean as you drive by, when are you going back and what are you, what message are you delivering to that younger version of yourself? I'm probably going back to, uh, early eighties. And I had a, I had a opportunity to uh, purchase Microsoft stock or a, um, I was, I was, I was into billiards. So I was playing a lot of pool and uh, I played for many, many years and, and on tournaments and things like that. And I felt, you ever heard of Steve Miserak? That name sounds familiar. Is that like a pool legend? Yeah. Have you ever heard, uh, you know, the Bud Light commercials years and years and years and years ago, you're too young, but, uh, this was a custom made, uh, pool cue for Steve Miserak. And for some reason he didn't pick it up. And the person that made it, his name was Richard Black. I remember this like it was yesterday. It was 1984 <laughs> because it was, it was such a pivotal point in my life. And, uh, these, these are handcrafted one of a kind and it was 975 bucks. And I purchased that instead of Microsoft stock. So going back, I probably would have done, oh. I probably would have done the Microsoft stock thing. Uh, less Do you still have the pull queue? No, I actually, we, we ran into a, a big, big issue in, in our lives. And, and we were, we were homeless at one point and I had to sell it. Oh. I had to sell pretty much every worldly possession I ever had. And yeah, I sold it for about 2,500 bucks on eBay. Well, at so, least it appreciated. 
it did. It would have been a lot worth a lot more now. But, you know, I had to do what I had to do. Right. Yeah. So that's that's gone. And the lesson would be um, if, if you've ever invested in any stock, just don't take it out. If it's a good company, just leave it in. If I would have left in some of the things, I would have a lot more money to pay. <laughs> um, but I know there was two parts to that question, going back what year, what would I have done? What would the message? Oh, another thing is um, being an entrepreneur, for anybody that's listening to this, it's going to be the bumpiest road you've ever taken in your entire life. It will never be smooth, ever. If it's smooth, there's something wrong, right? Mm-hmm. Every sale goes through. Everybody makes their payments on time. Nobody quits. That doesn't happen. I started a business once three days after. I got a phone call. You just bought yourself a lawsuit. I mean, what type of message is that? Yeah. We <laughs> started a business and, you know, something happened to the client and we get a phone call. Um, so just know it's going to be a bumpy ride. But I truly believe that there's something bigger than yourself guiding and if you have that faith, you'll be okay. It's extremely difficult. You know, tough times will come upon you, but just know you'll get through it. And everything happens for a reason. If one door closes, another door will open. It's always been like that. And I, I truly believe that. I still do that today. There's always things happening. Where I'm like, why did this happen? Yeah. Um, something good will come of it. And that's just the only way to, to, to get through is to not dwell on it, get upset about it take it out on other people, just go, okay, something better is coming along and just move on. Yeah. Beautifully said. Well done. (laughs) Chris, thank you for being here today, man. Thank you for sharing your story, your wisdom, and uh, man, your insight. This has been a great conversation. So I really appreciate it. Hey, thank you for having me. Appreciate it. Yes, sir. Founders. Thanks for listening. We hope you enjoyed it. Make sure you subscribe to the podcast and hop into our monthly founder email so we can ensure you stay on the edge of peak performance and massive business results.